I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the Democrats stalling virus aid, the truth about Trump and virus response, Dr. Fauci, swine flu, and Hillary, and Italy, America, the virus, and liberty. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. In Washington today, as the nation is a little bit paralyzed in fear over the coronavirus, there's another paralysis going on, which is the breakdown in negotiations between the Democrats and the Republicans in the Senate and in the House related to funding some of the, uh, trying to cover through a spending bill, some of the disastrous impact the coronavirus has had on our economy not just the virus, but actually the actions by the government in shutting down various businesses, also having a devastating impact on the economy. I wanna to start today by asking Matt, the very wonderful producer, to please play. There's a clip that I sent him. I wanna have you here. This is Mitch McConnell speaking on the floor of the Senate about his view about why negotiations, why a bill that was ready to roll broke down in Washington and a disagreement between the Republicans and Democrats. Here is Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. The American people are watching this spectacle. I'm told the futures market is down 5%. I'm also told that that's when trading stops. So the notion that we have time to play games here with the American economy and the American people is utterly absurd. So I want to explain what just happened. Our good friends on the other side would not have been disadvantaged one bit if this vote had succeeded because it would have required potentially 30 more hours of discussion during which these seemingly endless negotiations could go on as long as they would like. Now the buildup to this, so everybody fully understands, is that we had a high level of bipartisanship in five different working groups over the last 48 hours, where members who were participating were reaching agreement. And then all of a sudden, the Democratic leader and the Speaker of the House shows up. And we're back to square one. So we're fiddling here fiddling with the emotions of the American people, fiddling with the markets, fiddling with our health care. The American people expect us to act tomorrow. And I want everybody to fully understand, if we aren't able to act tomorrow, it'll be because of our colleagues on the other side continuing to dicker when the country expects us to come together and address this problem. I can understand obstruction when you're trying to achieve something. This obstruction achieves nothing. Let me add a few more details to Senator McConnell. I will tell you, that's a rare thing. Senator McConnell 
really obviously angry, speaking on the floor of the Senate. And what is especially unique about it is he's calling out Nancy Pelosi, who is obviously not a member of the Senate. She's a member of the House. She is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who got in the middle of a deal that the Democrats and Republicans had worked out in the Senate related to trying to fund some of the damage, trying to protect America, provide a bridge, protect America from some of the damage done to our economy, our businesses, our stock markets, individual families, employers, a lot of people due to this coronavirus. I wanna share some other very important points in this first five today. Number one, Nancy Pelosi in her effort to want, she, she has now said she wants the House side to come up with their own bill and then they'll move forward based on what they want. Nancy Pelosi is talking about trying to include in this emergency coronavirus bill, funding to pay out, to pay for all student college debt. This, we're always hearing about there's a massive debt that some students owe who took out loans to go to college and they have massive debt, they can't pay it back. It's a really interesting little goes around, comes around thing because that's one thing she wanted that, to see the Senate put in the coronavirus bill, that you, we would excuse all college debt. And you know what's the most amazing goes around, comes around thing? That the federal government's takeover of the college loan program was another nefarious, slip it in there, an irrelevant bill thing the Democrats accomplished back when Obamacare passed. Did you realize that? Obamacare was the source of the federal government seizing control of college loans in this country. So Pelosi, now that the, and, and you know, that program, because the federal government took it over, it has skyrocketed in expense and cost and debt to the students. Anything the government takes over naturally is inefficient and more expensive than necessary. And so now, here we are in 2020, trying to fund and protect Americans from this coronavirus damage and Pelosi saying, let's stick in some money there to forgive college loan debt. Not to say, can we bridge there or we can we suspend payments for a few months until the virus damage, you know, winds its way through our economy. She's talking about forgiving it. Number two, obviously, as Democrats always are looking for money for Planned Parenthood and other abortion related funding. But other really points to understand, I don't want you to take away from this that I am thrilled with the size and scope of the coronavirus package. I do think the Heritage Foundation, as an example, has made some excellent arguments about we're doing too much, we're, we're spending too much. We don't have $2 trillion in the federal coffers to go spending, even in a crisis like this, that the aid provided in the coronavirus bill should be targeted, specific to industries particularly harmed. I'm not saying the bill they had was great, but they had knocked it out, Republicans and Democrats battling it out in the Senate, gotten to a deal that Nancy Pelosi stepped in the middle of and said, sorry, I'm just, I'm not gonna go along with that, not doing it. So next thing is that it's so interesting to see how the media is responding to what the Democrats are doing. The New York Times, the, the mouthpiece of the Democrat party, the New York Times that never will criticize an elected official who's Democrat, a Democrat policy, certainly haven't seen a spending policy they ever opposed. The New York Times came out with a headline because even they were shocked by the fact that Nancy Pelosi would step in the middle of the spending bill trying to address a coronavirus emergency. They actually had three headlines. They had one headline that came out almost immediately, which said, Democrats block action on 1.8 trillion stimulus. 
Well, this is the coronavirus spending. So their first caption said, Democrats block action on 1.8 trillion stimulus. Second headline, clearly because I got a call from somebody or many somebodies over there in the Democrat party saying, hey, what are you doing? Put Democrats block action on stimulus plan seeking worker protection. So they're trying to say, you know, they're trying to soften it and defend the Democrats. Third caption was partisan divide threatens deal on rescue bill. Look, my friends, there probably has to be a pretty big bill out of Congress right now to deal with the coronavirus because the economy, as everyone can see, is in the tank. Businesses are closed in many parts of the country. You can't go to work. You can't earn your money. You can't. And and where we are right now in Dallas, Texas, I'll just tell you, folks, here in Dallas last night, we had our first of all, our governor, Abbott, on Sunday night said, yeah, earlier Sunday afternoon, yesterday, say, you know, actually, we're going to have to do some further steps. And he's trying to, um, public schools are shut down, restaurants, businesses are shut down. And then last night, we had our own Dallas, the name of the gentleman, the person who runs the county, the highest elected position in the county, county judge, ordered Dallas County into a shelter-in-place status. So starting midnight tonight, we're in shelter-in-place, as in many, as other people are around this country, many people are, which means basically you have to stay home unless you have to do something essential, like go for medical care or go to uh, purchase food. So we have a you know massive impact on our economy. Uh, Republicans and Democrats cannot get their act together. But I do want to say, when you read some of the things that Nancy Pelosi wants to stick in this bill, she is, as, as Democrats will always do, if there's an opportunity, if there's a crisis, she's taking advantage of it. She's trying to find some way to push Democrat policies that have nothing to do with helping America survive the coronavirus, everything to do with the left-wing agenda. She has always had. I also want to make clear, if you didn't know this, in fact, all the stories I'm mentioning throughout my show, every show, you can go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, and read the links to all the stories I'm talking about. Another story I meant to mention, I didn't even get to it last week, was that George Soros, you know, the the most vile, anti-American, hateful, hates freedom, hates religion, hates America, hates the whole concept of nations and countries, George Soros is has already announced his group is going to spend millions of dollars, millions of dollars attacking Donald Trump just on the coronavirus issue. And again, folks, coronavirus didn't get started here, got started in China, Trump is doing everything he can. We're hitting the next segment. Uh, what many things that Donald Trump really is doing. But um, I want to close out the first five by saying we're going to be watching this spending bill in Washington because, you know, it's an enormous, unanticipated, debt-increasing, you know, spending money we don't have bill. And even in this time of crisis, on the one hand, we may feel like we've got to do something to protect workers, individuals, families, businesses, who are literally being either their business has been destroyed over because of the coronavirus, so they can't go to work, they can't open their factory um, or their other kind of business, and all sorts of people in the service industry, people who are you know who wait tables, who own restaurants, whose very livelihood depends on the business being open, who live paycheck to paycheck. These people are not working these days throughout our country, so we probably do need to be doing something. But there's a very uh, a big danger here about this massive spending bill coming out of Washington, unsettled yet what the terms are. 
And there really is, as always, I expressed concern uh, many, many times um, on this show about the idea, just because we have a big problem, just because, um, you know, Congress is uh, trying to do something about it, does not mean we always have to go along with every new massive spending idea. We have to watch the kind of money the lobbyists are pushing for. There are lobbyists in Washington. Uh, for example, just a few of the examples, um, Boeing, Boeing, massive, obviously, American company, is asking for a $60 billion, B as in boy, billion bailout. It is not as though all these companies were floating along beautifully and everything was fine and all of a sudden the coronavirus destroyed their business. These people have passed decision-making, passed decisions in that have shaped where they, they stand as a company, how, how you know, stable they are, how their finances are, what risks they have. So they have big, big companies like Boeing with big, big, massive, powerful lobbyists in Washington pushing for money toward them. Uh, same with the whole bunch of, I'm not gonna go through my guess, but I wanna just say that the coronavirus spending bill should be as, as much as possible, not only limited in who is helped and protected, and I'm not saying no businesses should be, but who is helped and protected and very limited in length. We can not agree with ourselves that we're doing some open-ended long-term spending. It's a short term to bridge America through this disaster, the coronavirus. And that my friends is today's first five. Yeah, you know, I wanna turn and talk to you about this um, truth about President Trump and the coronavirus. But I'm gonna start with an observation. You know, I'm on, social media kind of all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm reading, I, I, I read a lot to be ready for the show every day, to be ready for my speeching, speaking engagements, to be ready for the kind of uh, calls I get quite often. I try to stay very, very informed. I think it's like my job, it is my job. And so I read a lot in social media and I, one pattern I wanna mention before I dive into really talking about how Trump is handling the virus is to say that the same people on social media the same people, the same national players, the same, you know, kind of more Texas-based, the same people in my social circles, the ones who always hated Trump, the ones who called him out and denounced him over uh, whether or not he releases income tax information, uh, whether the, the whole Trump-Russia collusion farce, the whole impeachment disaster of a, just a, an absurd allegation about the Ukraine, which Trump did nothing wrong and everyone in the country could see it who was paying attention, but the same people who attacked him on every single issue are now turning to attack him on his handling of the coronavirus. It is a, wow, isn't this now the latest way maybe we can get this guy, maybe we can get this guy to um, you know, have to resign or so damage him in some way that he couldn't possibly win re-election. So there's a lot of negativity out there and much of it is just the same kind of ugly, nasty noise coming from anti-Trump people that's been coming since the day he won election an election for which many, many Americans are grateful. But I wanna start with, um, there's a very lengthy um, timeline that was created by the people at the Center for Security Policy. I believe I have it linked to on my website, but you could go to the website yourself, Center for Security Policy, I think it's .com, um, no, .org, Center for Security Policy .org, or they also, you can get there by going to securefreedom.org or .com. 
I think it's a really helpful thing to help you remember, because here we sit in March of 2020, and we're just paralyzed by it, overwhelmed by all the news related to the coronavirus. It's very, very helpful to step back and look at what China did, how long China kept the world in the dark, how long China lied to the world. The fact that among, among many, many other facts is that as of January 14th of this year, so we're talking, you know, two months ago, a little over two months ago, you still had the World Health Organization telling the world, making an announcement to the world, don't worry about the coronavirus. Don't worry about it. China says it's not contagious. This is actually the words out of the World Health Organization message to the world. And I'm raising that because right now, the people who just never like Donald Trump, never want him to win, don't like his agenda, don't like his America first agenda, don't like his make America great again mindset, are trying to plant the seed in the minds of Americans that, you know, this has just been, he's known about it for months, uh, President Trump had, he blew it, he didn't do this soon enough, he should have done this soon enough, he, he didn't do this when he should have. It's a constant Monday morning quarterbacking by people sitting home in front of their computers who happen to have never liked Trump and finding some other reason to attack him. One minor correction that people have been saying about him, I just want to be sure to mention, people have been saying, People have been saying, well, President Trump said that the whole coronavirus was a hoax. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that the coronavirus is a hoax. He didn't say the coronavirus doesn't exist. He, he was referring to the way the media has tried to turn the entire coronavirus, you know, horrific problem we have in America, around the world, this pandemic, into a, an attack on him. What's a hoax about what the left is doing is trying to turn the coronavirus problem into a justification to attack Donald Trump. He, he used the word hoax in that context, but I wanna go through a bunch of things about how he really did react. So World Health Organization reassuring us, middle of January, don't worry, China says it's not even contagious. Okay, so I mean, China, the lead player in the lying to the world over and over and over. As the end of January, President Trump decided uh, to shut off travel between China and America. You know, his travel thing, many leftists, including Biden, who would be president, has been called it at that time, this is racist, this is xenophobic, this is horrible. I mean, attacks on him, then they had to quick backpedal and say, never mind about that, and try to take their tweets down. But he was attacked for early on responding to it. Uh, there were many, many steps along the way where China could have been more forthcoming, could have been more honest, could have told the world, you know, we're kind of having a problem with this. It's not clearing up like we thought it would, but they didn't do that. They, they both uh, arrested doctors who were trying to report the problem. They made doctors who were reporting the problem sign statements saying that, uh, they, that they had been wrong, they, that the doctors are forced to retract their own statements about the coronavirus. And, but you know, the Trump administration has been rolling along, dealing with the virus. And what you're seeing now is a lot of people saying, well, if only the Trump administration had, you know, two weeks earlier, uh, ordered more masks, ordered more ventilators, done this, done that, everything would be different. And there's a mindset there that is just, it's very, it's troublesome, but it's really good to recognize in the way people who, they aren't, they aren't just anti-Trump, they're also usually just leftists. And therefore, they're leftists who are very anti 
religion, anti-God, anti-faith. They don't like the people's faith in God. And when you get to be a leftist to that degree, you end up wanting the government, or in this case, Donald Trump, to be God, fix it all. I mean, I, I know that might sound absurd to say, but I want you to really think about that. People get frightened, and you know, and yes, everyone's concerned about the coronavirus. Everyone wants it to be figured out. Everyone wants the situation resolved. Everybody wants the coronavirus to be, you know, to, to move on, to be gone. But the idea that somehow all of the world is going to, or all of America is going to blame Donald Trump for every misstep, every death, every, or, or every, as you sit here today looking back, well, if you'd only done this on this date, not that date, what those people are really saying is they want, they think somehow the government is God and can magically fix everything, magically fix everything. So if they aren't fixing everything, it must be the government's fault. But I'm going to hit some more specifics. One big thing that's become a, a conversation point, and I think it's really important to understand, President Trump has been pushed by, in news conferences, by, you know, the media, essentially saying, why don't you more forcefully use the DPA, the Defense Production Act? And to be very clear, the Defense Production Act is a federal law that permits the president to order industries, to order industries to produce certain things, to say, I know that yesterday you used to make sewing machines or uh, hair dryers, but today you're gonna have to make ventilators. So the, the, this Defense Production Act required the president to, through executive order, to say, okay, I am engaging the Defense Production Act. He has done that much. President Trump has said, okay, I'm gonna activate this Defense Production Act with the notion that I may use it to get around to certain orders to certain industries to say, I need you to move along. I need you to stop making you know, widgets over here and instead make masks. So I want to first ask Matt the Wonderful to play a clip from a press conference last night. This is President Trump last night in his press conference related to coronavirus. The question from the reporter, which is in the clip, is her asking about why aren't you ordering more production via the Defense Production Act? Well, let me have you uh, hear her question and President Trump's answer. We'll talk about some more. When it comes to the Defense Production Act, we know that governors across the country all day today were pleading with you to, utif to utilize the DPA, saying well, that they need it specifically for about. that allocation piece that you mentioned, Mr. Navarro. Okay. Why not use it now if that would answer their pleas for help? Well, we are using it now. The fact that I signed it, it's in effect. But, you know, we're a country not based on nationalizing our business. Uh, uh, call a person over in Venezuela, ask them, how did nationalization of their businesses work out? Not too well. Uh, the concept of nationalizing our business is not a good concept. But I'll, I'll tell you why, as Peter said, we may have to use it someplace along the chain, but we're getting calls. Here's the beauty of it. If we go out and we want, let's say, masks, we don't know who to call on masks, but Haynes, who makes things of cotton, various elements, lots of things, it's a great company, they called us and they said, we're going to make millions of masks. We got a call today from 3M. There's a big article today, the head of 3M. They're going to make tremendous products and they're more or less in that business. And if they're not, like for instance, General Motors spoke to us, Ford spoke to us about doing uh, ventilators. Uh, the beauty is they're calling us. Uh, if you go the national route, nationalization route, 
We're going to tell a company to make a ventilator. They don't even know what a ventilator is. In the case of one company, they used to make them years ago, and they know how to make them. You know, it's a very complex piece of equipment, frankly. So what we're doing is, I think Peter said it may be better than anybody's going to say it. We have the threat of doing it if we need it. We may have to use it somewhere along the supply chain in a minor way. But we have millions of masks being done. We have respirators. We have ventilators. We have a lot of things happening right now. So just the threat of using it. But using it's actually a big deal. I mean, when this was announced, it sent uh, tremors through our business community and through our country. You know, I wanted to play that for you because this is an example of something which I, I, I've been talking a lot about how the president is, is surrounded by advisors, surrounded by people who everybody cares, everybody wants to see the coronavirus uh, go away, Every, everyone wants the best actions to be taken. But that little, pre that little clip right there says a lot about President Trump. Number one, and a lot about America, and we're talking about how America is reacting to the coronavirus too. Uh, number one, even though apparently the president was getting calls from some governors asking him to use the Defense Production Act to say, look, I'm the governor of X state and our hospitals tell us that we're going to run out of ventilators or run out of masks or run out of some other piece of equipment we need. And so get them or get them made, order them produced. And these governors, I'm not faulting any of them. But I'm getting at the idea that President Trump recognized the danger, the beginning of steps toward what could be a problematic nationalization of American industries by, in, by saying, I'm not going to nationalize yet. I'm not going to push this yet. I'm not going to force them. And at the same time, when he, he's talking about the idea that we don't do that in this country and Many businesses are stepping up without having to be asked. And this is one of the things I want to say about America and the goodness of America and the American businesses and the American people. As you heard President Trump say, businesses, corporations are calling the White House. Hey, we could make masks. We, ha we are capable of this. We can turn them out in whatever numbers they have. The American business spirit, which is this is, should be so obvious that it's not even, shouldn't even be surprising, but American businesses actually want America to get through this coronavirus, to have our economy turn back to normal, to have our country safe again. Of course, business owners are calling the White House and saying, hey, we can make masks, we can make ventilators, we're on it, we're, we've gotten started, we're going to step up. This is happening all over the country, and it is a better answer even in a crisis like this, than the president grasping or grabbing the power he has and ordering companies to produce things. We, we've only been in the midst of this virus for however long it's been. I think the first case in America was January 15th, something like that. And so, so we are realizing we've got to step up. We've got companies who can't wait to step up. And I, I like the idea and the really the bravery of President Trump to say, you know, we're not going to go. We, we have to be serious. And we have to be on board. We have to solve this. We have to produce what's needed. But we don't have to use coercion. We don't have to go the nationalization route, at least yet. Now, I will say then this was something that George W. Bush did do, did use the Defense Production Act. Maybe that was the right call then. I don't know. But I do know now what President Trump is saying is I think American, the American business spirit, which is all American businesses are, are people.
that businesses have no entity to them except the people who run them, who are Americans, who want America to emerge from this quickly. So the Trump administration is now working with Ford, General Motors, and Tesla, three gigantic companies. All of them gave them the go-ahead to mass produce coronavirus ventilators. This is different from forcing them through an order under the Defense Production Act. This is Trump saying, look, these companies are wanting to help. They want to produce ventilators and we want to work with them, encourage them so we can get this done. There's something about the rightness of President Trump's mindset about America, mindset about what our country is that inspires him to say we're not going to go to this panic mode of ordering companies to produce things because the, the people that run these companies, they'll step up themselves. There's also a, a company, and I think it was West Virginia, they they have stepped up right away, said they can start, um, they can produce the uh, drug that is now being touted, the COVID-19 drug that's being touted that will help as a potential treatment, um, and uh, hydroxychloroquine, the drug is hydroxychloroquine sulfate, tablets already approved by the FDA for the treatment of malaria, uh, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. So this company, again, the American people are stepping up. The business community is stepping up. We're going to get ourselves the things we need. The masks, the ventilators, and even the medication now that we're talking has proven successful um, in, uh, in getting our, in getting this, um, well, the coronavirus, this, I can't even say the name without looking at it again. The hydroxychloroquine sulfate has been successful in bringing people to recovery, not just staving off or feeling slightly better recovery, getting over this virus. And so I, I just think it's, it was a really good moment for President Trump to say, we're gonna try to get the American people and the businesses they run to help step up here instead of having the, um, in, instead of having the uh, forced production by various companies that he could have done on the Defense Production Act. One last point in this segment, um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the other things, things we need to handle this crisis include the testing kits. And we first had testing kits that were uh, first coming along that were gonna give an answer between two and eight days. Then there was another one said eight hours. Now the FDA has approved a coronavirus test that can provide results in 45 minutes. I'm getting at the point in this segment that the government isn't God, Trump is not God, but the American, but the American people are coming together to, to deal with this crisis. Most of the American people, American businesses, the American individuals, the American people are coming together to produce what is needed, to figure out what is needed. Most people are complying with the orders they've been given with respect to closing businesses. I mean, everyone's complying with closing businesses, the social distancing of three, or now they wanna make it six feet, the hand washing. The American people are a modern, uh, at, you know, industrious, intelligent, good people. And so are our industries. And that is how we are responding to the coronavirus. The leftists in this country who dedicate all of their mental energy, figuring some way to delegitimize, mock, criticize, or tear down President Trump are not simply, it's, it's not even good enough to say, well, they're always leftists and never like President Trump. These people are hurting things. 
These people are actually hurting our country. These people who spend all their time criticizing Trump, criticizing how he's reacting, criticizing how soon he did this, criticizing whether we should have done X, Y, or Z earlier. They're not helping anything. In fact, they're hurting. They're helping to spread fear, helping to spread anger, helping to spread disdain toward the governor, government and the president, helping to spread hatred and fear. It is despicable. This country is coming together. Trump is actually emerging as a fabulous leader in this time of crisis. And all you get from the left is one more mockery, one more argument, one more insidious, obnoxious, ignorant criticism of him. I'm not saying Trump is perfect. I'm not saying our country has handled this perfectly. I'm not saying saying any country has handled this perfectly. But the American spirit, the spirit of the American people that says, we are going to stand up. We're going to fight to protect ourselves. We're going to do what is needed. We're going to be industrious. We're going to be in compliance with the government's telling us to do. All of that spirit is right here. It's right here. It's happening. And President Trump is trying to show that to people. He's celebrating to people. And the people on the left, and frankly, those on the right, who fancy themselves too educated, too smug, too self-righteous, too morally superior to ever acknowledge that they have been wrong in their attacks on President Trump, those people are not just unhelpful. They are affirmatively harming our country. They are planting the seeds of anger and suspicion and and ugliness in our country. And it is flat out despicable. We're going to go through some more numbers on Thursday's show, I think this week. But I also want to, I want to talk a little bit. I want to wait until the testing is ramping up this week. We're going to have some more numbers later in the week. I'll probably get into numbers on Thursday's show. But I want to say for now that we are doing well in this country in getting test kits created. We have, we're having more test kits produced all the time here in Dallas County. Uh, you have to meet certain criteria, which uh, we don't happen, I don't happen to meet, but people do. So you have drive-through testing now in Dallas County, and I think all over the country in major cities or cities where they have a problem, drive-through testing, get an answer several hours later. We are stepping up as a country. We're coming together in the same way. We do have to fight coronavirus like we fight other enemies of this country, such as radical Islam. We have to fight this like an enemy, and we are. And the people who are spending most of their time criticizing, lamenting, complaining, and Monday morning quarterbacking need to shut up. Next topic I want to hit today, you know, this is actually also speaking of the coronavirus. I guess we're just kind of, we're stuck on this topic for a while until we get through this. But many of you have seen the picture of the uh, quite elderly looking Dr. Fauci, F-A-U-C-I, Dr. Fauci, who is part of the Trump team. Often on when they have the coronavirus press conferences, Dr. Fauci is standing there. He's a very senior looking doctor. Uh, he often speaks at the press conferences, um, and he's, uh, you know, he's a- among the major people advising President Trump, among the fundamental major people advising him about how to handle the coronavirus. I want to tell you a couple things about him that caused me great concern about his judgment and even about his purpose and what he is doing. Number one, he has been in public health for decades and decades and decades and decades. He's been there a long time. Doesn't make him a bad actor that he's been there a long time, but it does make some of the things he is doing now 
a little suspicious given what he did when he was in one, I don't even know which position he was in at that time, but he's been in public health on the national level, very prominent forever. So Dr. Fauci was in, I don't know if he's a CDC doctor or he was NIH National Institute. I think he was an NIH doctor. Anyway, back in 2009. So let's say who is president? Oh yeah, Barack Obama. Barack Obama at the time of his presidency, swine flu, massive problem in America, massive problem, big numbers of people dying of swine flu in America. At that time, September of 2009, after millions of Americans had become infected with H1N1 influenza, which is swine flu, thousands had died, some of whom were young people and children, you can see this clip, a very relaxed and unalarmed Dr. Anthony Fauci told an interviewer, people just need to use good judgment. Parents shouldn't send their kids to school if they're sick. If you're sick, don't go to work. Avoid places where there are people who are sick and coughing. Now that's a difficult thing to do. You can't isolate yourself from the rest of the world for the whole flu season. People, I know that the coronavirus is not the regular flu. I understand the coronavirus has a different source from China. It has a source from China about which many people are very, very concerned that we may have in America and around the world different ability in our natural immune systems to fight the coronavirus different from the swine flu. I understand they're not the same. I'm just telling you, when the numbers were far worse in 2009 with the swine flu and a Democrat president, you had Fauci saying, you can't really isolate yourself from the rest of the world for the whole flu season. Come on now. But now here we are in 2020 with President Trump who has to deal with a virus coming also coming from China and the whole alarm system, the whole alarmist mentality, very, very different. Numbers were worse under the swine flu. Numbers were worse and known to America, known to him as a doctor at the NIH. And yet you had, maybe cavalier isn't the right attitude, right word to describe his attitude, but he wasn't in the alarmist mode, everybody stay home, you know, shut down the country, shut down manufacturing, shut down everything, shut down businesses. You just didn't have that in 2009. And most of the advice of a medical nature relating to the prognostication about how big this, this flu is going to become, coronavirus, coming from this same guy who in 2009, even after those number of deaths, thousands of deaths, millions became infected, went on and on and on, talking about, hey, you know, if you're sick, you shouldn't go to work. Not the same reaction. And you have to realize that the reaction within our country, the reaction that, you know, you have governors ordering businesses closed. And we have, as I say, county judge in Dallas, starting tonight at midnight, we have the shelter in place in, in place in Dallas, Texas, in Dallas County. We have or, yeah, orders like this all over the country. All of that is coming from Fauci and his medical prognostications. 
I'm not saying that I think any of us should be cavalier. I am saying he's a very suspicious character. The other thing to tell you about him, Dr. Fauci, okay, and this is weirder than weirder than weird. So Fauci is bizarrely, bizarrely infatuated with Hillary Clinton. I'm not talking about you know, made a campaign campaign contribution and said one time, I sure think she'd be great present. I'm talking bizarrely infatuated with. So, uh, and again, you can read the articles I'm, uh, from which I am reporting on my website, americacanbetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, and find these articles. Here's just one. So, in June of 2012, June of 2012, Hillary Clinton had test, had um, given a speech. I wanted to listen to what Fauci, the smitten, wrote to Cheryl Smith. And if you don't remember who Cheryl Smith is, she is one of those, um, I'm sorry, Cheryl Mills, excuse me. Cheryl Mills, one of the, you know, really, really insider confidants of Hillary Clinton, one of her lawyers. Fauci writes this in an email to Cheryl Mills. Hey, Cheryl. Wow, very rarely does a speech bring me to tears, but this one did it. Talk about telling it like it is. This was a bases loaded home run. Please tell the secretary, capital S secretary, secretary of state, Hillary Clinton, please tell the secretary that I love her more than ever. You guys too, of course. So that was in June of 2012. In January of 2013, when Hillary has to go and testify about the Benghazi horrific disaster on her watch. So her famous testimony where she ended up with that famous clip where she said, you know, what at this point, what difference at this point does it make about the people who died in Benghazi? But listen to what Fauci wrote Hillary commenting on that testimony. This is Fauci, again, January of 2013, again, writing to Cheryl Mills. Cheryl, anyone who had any doubts about the secretary's stamina, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, secretary's stamina and capability following her illness had those doubts washed away by today's performance before the Senate and the House. She faced extremely difficult circumstances at the hearings and still she hit it right out of the park. Please tell her that we all love her and are very proud to know her. Okay, I'm gonna ask you ladies, any of you write emails like that, like to guys, or if your husband, would you like very much if he were writing emails about someone's speech saying, tell her I love her? The guy is a weirdo. And there's a lot more to tell you about the distinctions. I am gonna get in numbers, I think on Thursday, but the distinctions and the reactions to this flu, coronavirus flu, versus the swine flu, for which we are pretty much shutting down the country. But I think it's really, really important to, to understand that everything we're doing is driven off of data, driven off of prognostications, driven off of, you know, just like they have graphs and charts, and then for even for climate change, they look at the data. No wonder, yes, of course, we have to shut down everything in America. Look at the data. The data is clear and absolute. Um, and, you know, so therefore, we have to, and the data is not just existing data with cases and tests done, it is predictions based on data. It's predictions based on data 
in the coronavirus world that's making everybody say, oh my gosh, you know, the country's gonna have to shut down. And that's coming from a guy who told Hillary twice in emails he loves her and has had nothing like this level of hysterical reaction when the swine flu was killing thousands more in America than the coronavirus has to date. Okay, I wanna just tell you, show you one last thing in my last little segment today, Italy, America, virus and liberty. I wanna start with just um, a little chart I sent to Matt the Wonderful. Um, it's just a, it's uh, got pink, which is a nice color for you to be able to see it well, but it has a pink chart and it's just showing the difference between the numbers of cases we have in America and the numbers of cases which, um, you know, which we had with the um, swine flu in previous years. And so Matt the Wonderful, if you can put that data up. Okay, so you see the big, tall, pink line. There's big, tall, pink line. Big, tall, pink line on the left is the average number of people who die of the flu every year. Average number, and this is obviously less, a little under, so it's more than 400,000, a little under half a million average global flu deaths. And so, and that, so that's fatalities in 2017, 2018, the U.S. flu and deaths. So the next smaller little pink thing is the U.S. flu in 2017 to 2018 deaths under 125,000. In fact, is well under the halfway mark. So that big pink is number of people die of flu every year, 27, eight, 27 to 2018 you know, average number of flu deaths under half a million, but getting close in America, well under 125,000, 2017, 2018. Okay, the next little thing over where you can see there's nothing, there's actually a tiny little pink thing. That is the number of, U- of US deaths um, from the COVID virus, 2019, 2020. You, there's nothing there. Right now, the fatalities from COVID-19, the disease caused by coronavirus, COVID-19 is so tiny in terms of how big the, you know, that should be a pink mark there. There's nothing there. The next thing over that tiny little pink is global COVID-19 deaths in 2019 and 2020. I'm just pointing out that we have many more deaths from the flu, you know, the pink big column versus the, on the left and the far right many more deaths annually from the flu than we've had yet so far from the coronavirus. And I'm planting that seed of thought. I will get back with you with more data on Thursday and maybe, and probably uh, other shows going forward. But it's important to understand that the flu, sadly, claims people's lives every year. Mainly older people, often people who've had some kind of compromised immune system or some other health problem. I am not saying that their deaths don't matter. Everyone's life matters. Everyone's death matters. I don't wish illness or death on anyone, but it's really important to understand. Just keep that chart in mind. As I mentioned a couple different things about the way America's reacting. We're gonna go more into this later in the week, but the way America's reacting to this seems like if you'd had that data, that, and you can see how we're reacting right now, you might question why we don't react that way during every flu season. Why during every flu season don't we shut down everything in America? Why do we tend to act more like the advice Dr. Fauci was giving in 
2009, when, when we had actual swine flu deaths, thousands of them, he's saying, hey, if you don't feel well, stay home. There is a, and I, I don't mean to diminish people, I don't want a virus killing anybody. I don't want the coronavirus anywhere, but it's really important to understand we're starting to surrender a lot of liberty in this country over something that has not so far exhibited the level of danger to America that the average flu season does, not even close. This gets back to the point I was making about the charts and how, you know, the predictions and the graphs and, you know, if this much happens, then these things happen. And look at these big numbers over here with the graphs. So the graphs matter, the data matter. During this week, I will tell you, there are going to be many more flu tests administered. And because more flu tests, I mean, I, I'm talking about coronavirus, more coronavirus test kits will be available, more tests will be taken, more numbers will show of the coronavirus increasing in numbers because more tests are being done. The fact that more tests are being done does not necessarily mean that the coronavirus is spreading faster. It means more people are getting diagnosed. Look, I don't want people to be ill. I want us, I want people who need to be to be tested. I want people to be compliant. I want people, you know, to, to use social distancing, to practice the kinds of things you're being told to do to diminish the spread. But we are starting to surrender liberties in this country, such as orders by the government to shut down private businesses. Order, it is different to shut down public schools that are publicly funded, the government's money. Shut down private businesses and differences between making a suggestion of wisdom about businesses versus ordering them. This is a new level of governmental authority we need to be very alert to in our country. And I want to just very alert to the potential harm to liberty. I want to one more thing about Italy, because Italy is obviously having a really, really hard problem. And I love Italy, to be clear. I've been there several times. I love Italy. I love the food. I love the art. I love the feel. I love the old streets. Italy also has a much older population than America, average age older. Italy's having a terrible time. It, Italy has a much older population. Italy has a higher percentage of people who smoke cigarettes. Italy also has a massive infection in part because of the growing connection over the last several decades between Italy and China when China and its Belt and, Road, Belt and Road Initiative is using its money to, you know, their claim to help and spread the connectivity of the world. But literally in Northern Italy, Italy had about 300,000 people from China living there, going back and forth to China. I, am, I care about everyone. I don't want anyone to suffer, but we don't have to look at Italy and assume that will happen in America. Italy also had, talking about contrary to the normal suggestions that would be made in terms of how you keep people safe, Italy also had the mayor of Florence early on when the Wuhan virus, then being called Wuhan virus, was being talked about. Italy had one of its key city's mayors in an attempt to fight back against what he was viewing as you know, xenophobic or uh, you know, mean to Chinese people. He had a little saying, he was out there, hey, don't be afraid, hug a Chinese person, hug a Chinese person. So Italy's got problems. 
I want everyone in Italy to have, I want them to have enough masks and ventilators and supplies. I hope America can kick up production to the point we can be exporting test kits and ventilators and masks. We can handle this. But we don't have to look at Italy and assume without question that everything wrong happening in Italy will most definitely happen here. We can love Italy, love the Italian people, want them to be healthy, and recognize there are differences between the Italian society and culture and the American society and culture. America is being responsive in very positive ways. We need to be proud of our country's response. We have to be engaging and helping in our response while keeping in mind about whether we need to be questioning the, the beginning, um, you know, the, the shutting down of liberty in this country, I think is a huge problem. But we need to not panic in this country about coronavirus, follow the instructions about social distancing and hand washing, all that stuff, take care of ourselves, but have more faith in the American people, the culture, the economy, the freedom, the self-reliance, all the elements that make America great. Those elements are going to help us get through this coronavirus. We can even be helping the countries of Italy and other places where the problem is extreme, but we don't have to give in to the panic and the fear the left is working so hard to instill in our culture. We have to reject the panic and fear and embrace and love how well America is responding to this crisis. I have more things to say, but I'm out of time for today. I want to tell you one thing quickly before I get to why it matters to you. And that is today is the last day I can do this show uh, because of the order in Dallas, a shelter in place order, which comes into effect at midnight tonight. Today's the last day I can do the show in the studio. So I'm doing it from home starting tomorrow with Matt, the wonderful producer, being able to help me produce it even from home. He'll be home at his home. I'll be home at our home. And we're going to have this show. The show shall go on, my friends. But it'll look different tomorrow. But it's the same me, the same show, the same energy, the same love of America. So that's, you know, But it'll look different tomorrow. So now let's quickly turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. As we started our show out today, we talked about the Democrats stalling the virus aid. Rahm Emanuel's never let a crisis go to waste. Ethos is embedded in Democrat politics. It is disgraceful. McConnell is right. This is not a political opportunity. It's a national emergency. Pelosi injecting Planned Parenthood funding and college loan forgiveness into virus relief. And even the New York Times first instinct was to be turned off by Democrat behavior. But then they had to change their headlines. Pretty funny. Americans are watching and they will remember in November. The Dems are playing politics at a time of fear. It will backfire on them. On Trump, truth about Trump and the virus response, the damned if he does, damned if he doesn't hysteria has gone way overboard. Facts are stubborn things. Who said coronavirus is no big deal on January 14th? Who being WHO, World Health Organization. Trump blocked China flights on January 31st, condemned at that time as racist and xenophobic. For three years, the left has been screaming, Trump is Hitler, Trump's a dictator, he's a fascist. Now, for being reticent, for using those kind of powers in the full Defense Production Act, he's not, they're complaining he's not acting enough like a dictator. The relentlessness and vitriol, the attacks on Trump are feeding Americans suspicions about agendas at work and stoking the virus and destroying the economy. And finally, on Fauci, swine flu and Hillary, Americans want their experts to be nonpartisan straight shooters. Dr. Anthony Fauci is not a nonpartisan and he's not a straight shooter. Love letters to Hillary are at best very odd, very weird. 
Commitment, comments and handling of swine flu during the Obama era, radically different than comments and handling of COVID-19 during the Trump administration. Fauci may be an expert in some aspects of COVID-19, and he has the right to write love letters to whomever he wants. But his behavior does not inspire confidence that he's a nonpartisan, agenda-free public servant. Trump needs to find a stronger public health spokesman soon. And on Italy, America, virus and liberty, Americans love to vacation in Italy. But note, the Italian population is older than Americans, more vulnerable. Italian smoking rates are higher, more vulnerability. Italy embraced China's Belt and Road Initiative years ago. Now, 300,000 Chinese workers in northern Italy, textile industries, many from Wuhan, PC attitudes in Italy, Florence's mayor hug a Chinese idiocy, promote the virus spread. America's local government officials are driven by fear of legal liability and they're erring on the side of shelter in place and other extreme orders, but the data to back them up is still weak compared even to other recent flu seasons. Expect the American love of freedom to rise up and resist the shutdowns in this country. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you-